Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Yeah, 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 yeah. Clones, what's going on? Welcome to the Daily Jungle. It is draft day. We were all over the action in the association, including Philip trying to run his franchise big man right out of town. Plus, the Dodgers keep it rolling last night. Yasiel Puig takes time to admire his work against the Mets, and they didn't like that at all. We also had Dennis Smith Jr. on, the NBA draft prospect, talking to us on the biggest day of his life, and Benjamin Watson was tremendous. Really important conversation with the Ravens tight end. Lots more to get to, including Travis in New Mexico's epic flameout and Alvy's official Smack Off 23 promo drops. All of that and more coming right up. As I mentioned, total respect to Phil Jackson. I mean, everybody's killing this guy, and for what? This guy's all in. I mean, right when you thought that maybe, maybe the Porzingis rumors were completely overhyped and overblown and that they would die down a day later, maybe it was blown out of proportion, maybe it was misreported, and everything would be fine. Then the 11-time champion sits down for an interview with MSG and he emptied the entire gas can right into that fire. We're getting calls. Um, you know, as much as we value Chris Stops and, you know, what he's done for us, when a guy doesn't show up at an exit meeting, everybody starts speculating on, you know, the duration or your you know, movability from a club. So we, we've been getting calls and, uh, you know, uh, we're listening, but we're not uh, intrigued yet at this level. But uh, as much as we love this guy, you know, we have to do what's good for our club. All right. So the question still remains, why would you trade this guy? Why would you look to trade this guy? He's a superstar in waiting, already a star on some level. He's pretty much happy there. Aside from all the dysfunction, he wants to be there. He loves New York. He loves playing for the Knicks. So why would you trade this guy? I mean, are we to assume that Phil is getting all butthurt because Porzingis skipped the exit interview? If you think that that's what this is about, well, then apparently you're right. Um, I don't think I've ever had a player over... 25 years of coaching, maybe 30, not coming to an exit meeting. Um, so it's, it's not happened to me. Um, I know it happens to other people and other players. Um, and his, you know, his brother and his agent have said, you know, downplayed it. But, you know, still it's a chance for a person to express themselves. And I had a real good relationship with Chris Dobbs over the last two years. So it was kind of surprising. Well, actually, he did express himself. He expressed himself by not showing up. And never mind that Shaq skipped an exit meeting back in 2004 with the Lakers. Never mind that Derrick Rose skipped an actual game this season. Not a meeting, but a game. No, if your 21-year-old superstar skips a meeting, then you drop that hammer. And if reports are to be believed then you don't reach out to him and you don't let anybody else in your organization do it either. You ice him. Ice. And then you do everything in your power to trade him. Man, I love it. Rule one of being a great NBA president or a general manager is when you have the chance to trade away a seven-footer with crazy upside who can block shots and knock down threes, then you do it every time you can. That's basic GMing. Honestly, I'm not sure why people are giving this guy so much grief about it. And don't get it twisted. Phil knows that Porzingis is good. But Phil has probably forgotten more basketball than anybody who has ever played or coached put together. 
will ever know. And Phil is so smart, he literally knows that he can do better than Porzingis. What it brings to is it brings two starters and a draft pick or you know something that's even beyond that is something that we have to look at as far as uh, going down the road. We know what he is. He's a unicorn and he's special. Yeah, and as everybody knows, when you find a unicorn, when you find one, the first thing you do is chop it up and sell it for parts. You have to do what's best for your club in a situation like this. And when that club is 80 and 166 since you took over, clearly the best thing to do is trade away your only marketable star, a guy who never asked for a trade and for whatever reason really does like it there and wants to stay. A lot of other presidents and GMs would say, I'm going to hold on to this 21-year-old big man who's a nightmare to defend and is only scratching his potential, but not the Zen master. That's why when it comes to being a front office guy, there's Phil Jackson and then there's everybody else. You're playing checkers and he's playing that three-dimensional chess that Spock and Kirk used to play. I mean, come on. Am I the only one who has this this old man's back? Do I really have to run down all the great moves that Phil has made? Do you want me to do that? Because I will. Have you seen what he's done with his draft picks? Does the name Cleanthony Early ring a bell? Average 10-4 and four last season for the Santa Cruz Warriors in the D-League. How about the Greek freak? You know Giannis? Averaging 23-9-5 per game. Yeah, well, Phil drafted his brother. And he averaged Brother. a point per minute in the six minutes that he played in the 2015-2016 season. And now he's playing. <laughs> Who the hell even knows where that guy is right now? So take that for data. Take that for data. And he isn't just killing it in the draft. Check the free agent moves that he's made. How many other team presidents had the stones to sign a broken down Joe Noah to a four-year $72 million deal? None. That's how many. That's brass. How about Marshall freaking Plumley? Not the Plumley who was just thrown into the Dwight Howard trade, and not the Plumley who's actually good, but the other one, Marshall. Phil found him and his two points and two rebounds per game as an undrafted free agent. Oh, let's also not forget he did sign Amare Stoudemire to a ceremonial contract when Stat retired last year. So, If you're a Knicks fan who's freaking out right now, Phil has a message for you. I think we know what we're doing. That's what I can say to them. Although it's not been apparent in our record the last couple years, we've grown from within. We've got young players that are on their move up. It takes time to rebuild with youth. I think to have confidence in the fact that uh, we're going to have good players, we're going to have a good team, and we're going to be on the court competitive. So that's got to make you feel better, right, Knicks fan? Nothing will calm down Knicks fan quicker than a guy making 12 mil a year saying, I think we know what we're doing. I think we know what we're doing. Yeah, now watch me attempt to trade a 21-year-old freak. Yeah, but rest assured, Phil's got this. Phil's got this. He may look like he's flailing around and acting irrationally because Porzingis essentially pointed out that the emperor has no clothes. But he's got this. I guess what I'm saying is... Give him some bleeping credit. I mean, for real. (laughs) Give them some credit. I mean, for real. I mean, this guy must be trying to get himself fired because even the worst GM in the world would not try to do something this stupid. I used to defend this guy against everybody who said he's not even that good of a coach. 
what did he do other than roll the basketball out for Mike and Kobe? And I was always the guy saying, you know what? There's a hell of a lot more to it than that. Those were not the easiest guys to coach. Those were not the easiest teams to coach. The guy does do more than roll the basketball out for Mike and Kobe. Fact is, watching him now in the front office, I'm starting to think all he really did was roll the basketball out for Mike and Kobe. Because these two dudes coached themselves and everybody else around them. What a disaster. Dennis Smith Jr. is my guest. Dennis, good to have you on. How are you? I'm doing good, sir. How are you? I'm doing great, Dennis. Great to talk to you. We're now just a few hours away from you hearing your name called in the NBA draft. So after all the work that you've put in over all the years, the season you had at NC State, and all the work you've done since the season ended, it's all right here. How does it feel to finally reach draft day? Um, It's a little nerve-wracking because you never know what city you're going to be going to, but at the same time, you feel great about the situation because you, you acknowledge all the work that you put in up to this point, and it's a blessing to be in this position. Dennis Smith Jr. joining us. Now, you put up great numbers throughout the season, but it was a tough year for the program, so what did you learn about yourself over the course of last season? I learned that I'm able to bounce back from losses because that's my first losing season that I've ever had in my life because I've been playing basketball, so I learned that I was able to bounce back, and that's something I had to pick up in the course of the season, but I think it's going to help me at the next level a tremendous amount. Now, college basketball fans might also remember you had one of the most iconic dunks in a long time when you threw it down against Duke in the win at Cameron. The buzzer had sounded so the dunk didn't officially count. But what do you remember about that dunk and the feeling of beating Duke in their place for the first time in more than two decades? Um, what I remember about the dunk is I just remember what happened after. Like I didn't even know I had caught the ball back that far or anything until I seen the photos, but I remember my teammates embracing me, and uh, especially Darius Hicks, how he just ran up. He was so excited to get that win, and it was a great team effort. Clones, let me talk to you about Stamps.com. Stamps.com saves you time and money, which you can use to grow your business. I can mail any letter, any package, using just my computer and printer, and the mailman picks it right up. I can avoid the hassle of the post office and mail everything from postcards to envelopes to packages, domestic or international. Stamps.com makes it so easy. They'll send you a digital scale, automatically calculates exact postage. Stamps.com. We will help you decide the very best class of mail based on your needs. There is no need to lease an expensive postage meter. Don't do that. I use Stamps.com because I'm never going to the post office again, ever. And right now, you too can enjoy the Stamps.com service with a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus postage and a digital scale without long-term commitments. Go to Stamps.com. Click on the microphone at the very top of the homepage. Type in Rome. Stamps.com. Enter Rome. Stamps.com. Never go to the post office ever again. That's Stamps.com. Now it's back to our daily jungle. Dennis Smith Jr. joining us. Now, Dennis, as a lot of people know, you tore your ACL before your senior year in high school. An injury like that can be devastating emotionally as well as physically. But you said, quote, I really believe that getting hurt was one of the best things that happened to me before college, end quote. So what do you mean by that? Why was that a good thing? Um, it, it humbled me. It humbled me a lot. It showed me that I'm human and I can. Uh, it can be taken away from me at any point. So it made me work a lot harder and I think it made me a better athlete. Yeah, the story goes also that not too long after the injury and roughly six months before you were fully cleared by your doctor, you went onto a basketball court to see if that you could dunk. 
Now, not only did you dunk, but you threw down a tomahawk and then a windmill. So what did that moment mean to you in terms of your confidence as to whether or not you would come back and be as good, if not better, than you were before? I didn't. I, I'm gonna be honest. I didn't think of it long term. It was a great mental boost for me at the time. Uh, it probably wasn't the smart thing to do, but I think it helped me out overall with with overcoming the mental aspect of ACL tear. Hey, Dennis, one more thing about that. For instance, I could see going through something like that, and maybe it gives you perspective. Maybe it makes you hungrier. Maybe you come out of that with a better work ethic. But how did it make you a better athlete? Because I had to, I began to work on the muscles surrounding my knee. Instead of just focusing on my calves, I began to work on my hamstrings and my quads and all of the other small muscles around that area, and it made me a lot more explosive. Your draft coming up tonight. All right, so you're from Fayetteville, North Carolina, which is also the hometown of Jay Cole. So what was life like for you growing up in Fayetteville? Life was, it was, I had a, it was great for me. I had a great childhood. I had the same group of friends since I was able to go outside. I got a lot of, all of my family is in Fayetteville, so... It was great for me. I loved it. The whole experience. You talk about your family. So I got to know this. It's draft day. It's important for a lot of people. But how do you approach tonight? In fact, what's your draft day look? What's the plan for the suit? Um, I can't tell you about the suit. I just want y'all to watch it and you'll have to see it then. But uh, my plans for today is just to enjoy it. You know, you only get to do it one time. So I want to embrace every moment of it. Hey, no problem there, Dennis. If somebody were to ask me, I wouldn't answer that either. you got to tune in to find <laughs> out. I see you working. Right here in SoCal, somebody better break up the L.A. Dodgers. They've won six straight. They've won 12 of 13. And if it's not Cody Bellinger getting to 21 home runs faster than anybody in Major League history on Monday, it's Cody Bellinger getting to 22 home runs on Tuesday. Or Corey Seager hitting three bombs on Tuesday. Or Yasmani Grandel going yard twice last night. And if it's neither of them, then you know it's Yasio Puig going Yasio Puig. Phil delivers on three and one. Fly ball to left field. Yasiel Puig has hit a three-run home run. Dodgers lead it five to one. I know it's radio, but... You don't need an announcer to tell you that that ball was gone or that Puig took a moment to admire it. I don't blame him. I was admiring it too. But then as he was rounding first base, Mets first baseman Wilmer Flores let him have it, said something to him about it. So Puig turned around and hit him with an F-bomb. That's after he dropped that double bird on Cleveland fans during a home run trot last week. Hey, listen, that was a monster shot. A monster shot. If I hit that shot, I'd admire it all. I'd admire it also. And considering the Mets have been outscored 22 to six in the first two games of that series, you think they'd be more focused on winning than caring how long Puig stared at a home run? And you'd be wrong because not only did Flores want a piece of Puig, but catcher Travis Darno also had words for him as well. Maybe you should have words with Tyler Pill for serving up that meatball, for putting that meatball on a tee for him. I mean, after all, this is the same Mets team that's now lost six of their last seven. They've now been outscored 30-8 to in three games. They're on the verge of a humiliating sweep in Los Angeles. This is a team that said the starting pitcher, Zach Wheeler, did not have an injury after he was shelled on Monday night and then put him on the DL on Tuesday afternoon. Matt Harvey took a break from allegedly being, quote, an emotional wreck 
and, quote, distraught over Adriana Lima stepping out with Julian Edelman. Just long enough to be diagnosed with a stress injury in his scapula last week. The best moment of the Mets season was Mr. Met flipping off fans. So they don't have any room to complain about anyone other than themselves. In other words, the Mets have a ton of issues. And Puig's speed around the bases does not even crack the top 100. And the worst part is, they know it. Flores admitted as much after the game. Quote, I don't think he knows what having respect for the game is. And then he added, quote, we're playing horrible. I know, but we don't need this bleep. Wait, what? You're playing horribly right now. So Puig should run the bases faster. Is that the code now? Is that part of the code? When you play like crap, everybody else should run the bases faster? That when you're playing a garbage team, you need to sprint the bases after a home run. Is that going to make the Mets feel better? Is that going to make them play better? That makes no sense whatsoever. How about you have some respect for the game and then actually win a game? How about that? Mets are embarrassing. What's one thing got to do with any of the other things? As for L.A., they're going to need every bit of offense and pitching that they get right now because they're in a nasty division. Colorado and Arizona are shocking everybody, and the D-backs just dropped a 16 spot on the Rockies last night. But as good as they both are, and they are good, the Dodgers are just too loaded. Too many weapons, and the scary thing for everybody in that division is they're young and they're scary. L.A.'s going to win that division, but it's not going to be easy. 1-800-636-8686. Man, that code is getting more and more whack and more and more tired. What did the guy do? I could point to 50 things that Yasiel Puig has done wrong that I've got an issue with, but that's not one of them. Sitting and watching a ball that he just turned around and a bomb he hit, who cares? As always, if you don't like the way this guy's acting after home runs, keep him in the yard. The Mets are embarrassing enough without crying about somebody admiring their work. My guest is Benjamin Watson. Benjamin, good morning. Nice to have you on. How are you? I'm doing well. Good morning. Good, good. Good to have you. Hey, let's go back for a minute. You had a career year with the Saints in 2015. You had 74 catches, 825 yards, six touchdowns, and then you signed with the Ravens as a free agent in the third preseason game. You tore your Achilles. It's got to be frustrating, right, to come to a new city and a new team and then not be able to contribute in your first year. What was the entire experience like? It was tough. It was tough. It was, um, uh, you know, as a player, you go through different types of injuries. I've been through injuries before, had many surgeries, um, but the Achilles is one that uh, I see why nobody wants to get it. <laughs> it's very debilitating, and to go to a new place, you know, we have five kids, my wife and I, uh, moving across the country to a new city. You always want to put your best foot forward. You want to earn um, the respect of fans and also your teammates. Um, you want to go out and create a reputation for yourself on the field and off the field. Uh, and so to have something like that happen so early on in the season was was very hard. It was a tough year for all of us uh, with the transition and also with the injury. But now we're at a place where um, you know my recovery is going well, and I'm looking forward to getting back on the field. Ravens tight end Benjamin Watson joining us. I'm going to talk to you about your kids and your family in one minute too. One more thought about the injury. You know, like you point out, you've been injured, you've had surgeries. This is all part of the game, and you know that when you sign up. But the Achilles is different. That's one the players fear the most, and it can be one of the toughest ones to come back from. So what was the rehab process like for you, both in terms physically and emotionally? Well, uh, I'll start with um, emotionally. Uh, when it first happened, uh, after being around the game for so long, last year was my 13th year, and you've seen all the injuries. You know what an injury looks like, and I kind of knew what it was. And I remember coming into the locker room, sitting on the table during the game, 
turned around and Steve Smith was right there. He had followed us into the locker room. He wasn't playing in that game. And I turned around, he's standing right there with me. Uh, we spent some time together, shed some tears, um, because he knew exactly what I was about to go through. And he's been someone um, that I've really been able to uh, lean on through this whole thing, being that he's been through it. But he knew the physical and the emotional side of it, and now I can be that for somebody else when they go through this injury because physically it is uh, very tough. That you know, The calf muscle wastes away. Uh, you're in- incapacitated for a-, a number of months. It takes so long to get a tendon that has little blood flow to start to work again, and it still doesn't want to act right sometimes. sometimes. And then emotionally, um, being out for a whole season and seeing the guys go and play um, and not being able to contribute, watching the games on TV is always hard. And then at home, um, my wife um, basically had to take care of all of us uh, for a little bit, and that creates strain as well. Um, So it's a tough thing to overcome, but... Um, when you go through things like that, it, it does uh, bring you together and it makes you strong. Benjamin Watson joining us. You know, Benjamin, one thought about Steve Smith. This this here is a huge Steve Smith house. I love the guy. I've got immense respect for him. Mm. I really love the guy. And he followed you back in the locker room. He was not playing. But is there something about Steve Smith? Share, share a thought or two about Steve Smith. What is it about him that a lot of people may not know? Uh, people don't know that um, he really is um, a kind-hearted and caring person. He he is very loyal. He's he's one of those guys that, you know, if he's your friend, he'll give you the shirt off his back. Um, he, he's very thoughtful, a really smart guy. Obviously, when you watch him on the field, he's different. He's very aggressive. He's he's uh, he plays hard. Um, he plays with a big chip on his shoulder, and that's the persona that he takes on when he's on the field. Um, but off of it, um, he loves his family. Um, he, he loves being around the guys. He's a mentor. He's a coach. He's all those things, and he's a great friend. Baltimore Ravens tight end Benjamin Watson joining us. Now, in addition to coming back from the injury, you had an incredibly busy offseason. Back in April, you took a trip to Lebanon to assist Syrian refugees who have escaped to Lebanon. When you were first asked if you'd like to go on that trip, you were a little bit reluctant. What was your initial thought about it, and then what changed your mind? Well, my initial thought was everything we see on the TV regarding the Middle East. Um, you know, a lot of what we see uh, uh, in the West here um, is not very attractive. We see a lot of uh, conflict, and, and of course, those things threw a car over there. And I've been to the Middle East before, just not Lebanon, but it's far away. Uh, I'm in the middle of my rehab process. I have family here, um, obviously, that I have to be home for. And so it just didn't seem like a good time, but it's amazing how God gives you opportunities. And sometimes it's your wife that tells you, hey, you need to walk through this door. And so uh, I decided to go with uh, the pastor of the church we go to, as well as a few other pastors from around the country. We went with World Vision, and we were able to sit uh, in the informal tenant settlements with Syrian refugees and hear their story and see how the Lebanese have, have decided to help them, even though they were in war with each other not too long ago. We were able to see how complex the issue is, um, but also to see the humanity in it, and that no matter where we fall, um, and even uh, on each side, and even though we don't have a, a great answer for this conflict, uh, we can still care about uh, these men, women, and children and the plight that they are going through right now. Baltimore Ravens tight end Benjamin Watson joining us. And then later this month, you and your wife, Kirsten, are joining a number of other players to the Dominican Republic in an effort to address human trafficking. So how did that trip come about, and what are you looking to accomplish with it? 
Yeah, well, um, a, a couple of years ago, uh, I was reading uh, in the book of Jeremiah, and there's a verse in, in chapter 9 that talks about the Lord delighting in kindness, loving kindness and justice and righteousness. And those are three things that we want to dedicate our lives to. We want to support organizations um, that deal with kindness, helping people, that deal with justice, whether that be domestic or abroad. In this case, it's uh, human trafficking, sex slavery that a lot of times preys upon the poor. Um, and we want to be people that stand for righteousness, for our faith. It's very important to us. And so a couple of years ago when we first, uh, really when we, kind of when we got to Baltimore, we, we wanted to, to really dive into the sex trafficking issue and bring awareness to it, be an advocate for those who can't be for themselves. We wanted to uh, financially support um, uh, people who are, who are making the effort to free people from this industry. And there's an organization called International Justice Mission. They're the world's largest anti-slavery organization. They work around the world to correct justice systems um, and to free people from this type of slavery and other types of slavery. Um, and whenever we're involved with an organization, we like to see hands-on with our own eyes what they're doing. And so my wife and I planned a trip uh, with IJM to go down to the Dominican Republic, which is one of the, the newer um, field offices that they have. And we also wanted to open the opportunity up to other players who may be interested in just learning about it. And so we opened that up to everybody. We're leaving the trip down there. Um, in a few days, a few months, a few weeks. I'm sorry, and um, we're just going to go support uh, the field workers, see what they do, see how they restore, see how they rehab, see how they educate, and see how they free uh, people from this uh, atrocity that's going on around the world and, and in many places where we don't even really know around or knows. You're listening to Benjamin Watson, a tight end for the Baltimore Ravens, and obviously so much more. And then Benjamin, on top of that, you've got a new book. Now your new book, the New Dad's Playbook. You describe what to expect when you're expecting four men. And you and your wife, as you mentioned, have five kids. So how did the idea for this book first come about? Well, after about our third kid, uh, my, my wife said, Benjamin, you need to write a handbook for dad so that I guess basically they don't make some of the same mistakes that I've made. Right. <laughs> uh, and so um, I look at the New Dad's Playbook as kind of the what to expect when you're expecting for guys. Um, a lot of men want to be great dads. I'm in a locker room for the last 13 years in the NFL with um, – men who are becoming fathers for the first time or second time, um, guys who uh, maybe they had a father, maybe they didn't, maybe they had a role model, maybe they didn't. And most guys, each one of them, even though they don't know how to do it, they want to be great dads. So the whole point of the New Dads Playbook is to, number one, encourage men that they can be the fathers that they were called to be. Number two is to educate them on the process. In the book, I go through the preseason, which is conception, the trimesters, to the Super Bowl, which is really when the baby is born. And I talk about what to expect when you go to the first doctor's appointment and how can you prepare for baby showers and for morning sickness and all those things, um, the practical things. And also when you bring the baby home, what do you do? How do you, how do you help, help your wife or the mother of your child and support them as they're going through so many physical, emotional changes? How do you prepare financially for a child? How do you prepare emotionally and for conflict and all those types of things? And so all that's packed into that book. And um, my wife and I, as we were writing the book, she was sitting right next to me. A lot of the time I was, you know, hurt with the Achilles, and I finished it this, uh, last season when I was injured. And a lot of it is stuff that she <laughs> told me, you need to put this stuff in there so that guys know this and they know how to support the women that are having their children. You know, it's great. And one last thought. You tell a story from a while back when you were at a mall with your firstborn daughter, and at one point you were sitting on a bench feeding your daughter when a teenage girl walked up to you and said, quote, you're a good dad. I never had one. Be true to your daughter, end quote. What was that moment like for you? 
It was it was very sobering. Uh, that happened in 2009. My, my first daughter, Grace, was born in, in January of 2009. I was in New England with the Patriots, and I was sitting in Braintree, Massachusetts, at the mall there. And uh, my wife was, was in a store, and I was just sitting there holding her, our firstborn. And a girl was literally going up the escalator behind me um, and looked down at me and, and, and said those words. And, you know, there's so many children. When you look at fatherlessness in our country, uh, one in three kids grow up without a father figure or, or the biological father in the home. 30, about 33% grow up without a dad. And when you look at all of the ills of society, whether it be poverty or education or incarceration, whatever it is, many of them are linked to not having a father in the home. We have some tremendous mothers who are doing a great job raising kids, but the kids need dads as well. And so that right there, uh, when she told me that, be true to your daughter, it, it, it just showed me that, that a, child, a child can be resilient. A child can make it. A, a child can do great things without uh, one of both parents. But kids want to be loved. They want to feel self-worth. They need all those things from both parents. And so it really encouraged me um, to be on a quest to not only be a father to my children, but to encourage other men to do the same thing because uh, we are facing a crisis and we will reap the, I guess, the consequences of that as time goes on. Now, I mentioned the Smackoff promo. Like, the Smackoff has become an amazing tradition. So has Alvin's promo that he labors on and works on to get us ready for the smack-off. The smack-off is July 28th. It's invite only. You have to be in it to win it. Winner gets five grand, 5000 bucks. Second prize gets nothing. We're getting RSVPs. I'm looking for them on the air. Alvin with the 2017 world premiere of his smack-off promo. Jimmy, you know what be cool? If I snuck into your studio and wrecked Brad on your mic at the end of my call, it'd be so awesome, dude. Smack off 23, Friday, July 28th. Winner take all. Get your weight up, Lev, then come see about me. Come see about me. Mike, saying things twice isn't cool. Saying things twice isn't cool. Way back in the mid-90s, we decided to set aside one day of the year when only the best of the best callers get on the air. what's up, Over two decades later, we are still doing this thing. I'm a bully from Laguna Beach. I'm going to tap you on one shoulder, and I'm going to be over on the other shoulder. (laughs) It's over. You've been pinned like a Jeep left in neutral. Five grand first prize. Start calling. God, I hate these guys, Rome. I hope they get polio. So the minute he hangs up, he's all, Mr. Johnson, I have the reports for you. They were due at... Maybe Jim can hook you up with a gift card from Lane Bryant. Hell, you're an idiot. You sound like you're close to baby. After he gets these hands. Yeah, you're right, Mikey. I don't want those hands. I don't know where the hell they've been. I've got a stack of golden tickets. You gotta play your way in. This golden ticket. Cover your ears, haters. Get a wife, you loser. Oh, on Friday, you're entering a world of pain. Smack, smack, smack. If you rack me, I'd rack me so hard. And I want you off the hell off my lawn. And for all you other hoes that think you got a shot at the throne, I only got five words for you. Put more effort uh, in, loser. This is the jungle national holiday. We wait all year for it. Smack off 23, Friday, July 28th. Are you ready? Time to There you go. Smack off 23, July 28th. I'm still looking for RSVPs. I've not gotten a strong one from Brad yet. Brad's thinking it over. I think there's a scheduling conflict there, maybe. But I know Brad. He'll do everything he can to make it. We did get an RSVP from Chael. In fact, the best RSVP we've ever had. He's a two-time champ. He's in. Mike is in. Mark in Hollywood is in. Mark from Boston is in. You know the defending champ, Lef, is in. 
Caleb RSVP'd on the air. Vic is in. So some of the biggest names in the game, definitely in and trying to be a part of it. If you're not calling that day, you got to listen that day. And if you're going to listen that day, make sure you have that day off. Pull Rome. Take a Friday off. July 28th. We're doing it on a Friday so you can make it a three-day weekend. Where are you going to be? How are you going to watch it? What are your expectations? Who do you like? Stucknut had the unofficial odds up yesterday. Again, those are unofficial. You can't get down. You don't get paid on that. It's just for fun, just for sport. But check out Stucknut's site. He had the odds up, and he says they're live odds. They move. They move depending on who RSVPs and what happens on the program. Brandon Phillips coming up a little bit later on. Mariners tried to have a slump buster yesterday. Another violation of the code. The Nationals went national yesterday also. Those stories are coming up. Meanwhile, Mark Stein reports. The Celtics are in trade pursuit of Porzingis. That, according to league sources, trying to assemble a package to meet the Knicks' demands. Danny Ainge. Danny Ainge has got like seven first-round picks. Again, I got to ask the question. Why are they shopping this guy? Why are they looking to trade Porzingis? I still have not gotten a good answer from anybody on that. The only answer being he skipped his exit meeting. So Jackson would have you believe that I've been in this game decades and nobody's ever done that. First of all, that's not true. Shaq O'Neal did do it back in 2004 with the Lakers. And I want to reiterate, he's going on about how this guy skipped an exit meeting and what a horrible atrocity that was. Yeah, well, Derek Rose, who also plays for you, skipped a game, an actual game. And that's okay. What is this? What is this? I think we know what we're doing. What are you doing, Phil? How do you know what you're doing? You're falling asleep while prospects are coming into workout and you're looking to trade the future of your franchise. A guy who could dominate in the NBA for a decade or more. You give them some credit. I Why mean, are you doing that? Real. I would love to at least hear a reason, an excuse, a rationalization. Why are you shopping this guy? <laughs> and he's going to end up with Boston, maybe? Hey, good. He's going to waste in New York. Send the guy to Boston. Give Cleveland a run for their money. Yeah, trust me, Danny Ainge is much, much, much better at his job than Phil Jackson is at his. He'll probably pull him out of there. He's got a shot. The reaction to the smack-off promo. I'll give you a hint who this one's from. I'm going to give you a word. Let's play a little word association. I'll do a word. I'll say a word. And you tell me who you think thumbed out this tweet. All right? Word association. Here is the word. Here is this person's word. Yeah! Randall, of course. Randall, WFI in the OC, tweets, Goosebumps. At Aaron Slam 78 tweets, That smack-off promo gives me chills, Van Smack. Pure chills. Lots of clones taking the week off. At Jeff from the 919 tweets, at Alvin DeLauro is a freaking master. Bravo, kid. Bravo. At Jay Wall 711 tweets, oh, hell yes. I already had the day off. Hashtag smack off. Hashtag team Mike in Indy. Even stuck nuts in. He tweets, Alvy did it again. Don't believe me? Ask Steve Nash what he thought. Well, Alvin's incredible. He deserves an incredible amount of praise. You know what's so awesome about Steve Nash? 
I mean, the truth is, even I can't get that guy to come on this show. Even I personally can't get Steve Nash to make a return appearance on the program. But he's got no problem putting himself out there and giving Alvin all that run. Well, Alvin's incredible. He deserves an incredible amount of praise. Notice how Steve Nash never says, yeah, Rome's incredible. Vance Mack deserves a lot of praise. Because obviously he doesn't think that I am or that I do. But again, he's got no problem giving Alvin the respect he's earned. Well, Alvin's incredible. He deserves an incredible amount of praise. In fact, we ran him down. Shortly after last year's promo dropped, I found Steve Nash, allegedly. I said, hey, Steve, what do you think of Alvin's 2016 smack-off promo? Here's how he responded. Well, Alvin's incredible. He deserves an incredible amount of praise. Isn't that true? That's so true. I remember when Alvin first got this gig, and Alvin followed a guy who was absolutely unbelievable at his job, Whitey. And at that time, Steve Nash was still doing this show. And I said, hey, Steve, you know how good Whitey is at his job? Do you think, and I asked Steve Nash this back in the day, allegedly, do you think that Alvin is up to the challenge? He's got to follow a master. He's got to follow a legend. How do you think that he's going to do in that job? Well, Alvin's incredible. He deserves an incredible amount of praise. So I don't think Steve Nash really cares much for me, but he's got Alvin's back. Well, Alvin's incredible. He deserves an incredible amount of praise. He does. He does. And he's getting an incredible. Do you know why he's getting so much praise? It's because he deserves so much praise, especially based on that promo. Always leave them wanting more, Alvin. You know that. Larry Walker. Quickly, I got a phone call. Travis in New Mexico. He got racked last time out. Travis, what's up? How are you? Rome, so good to talk to you. I'm doing tremendous. Um, look, Rome, we all know in the battle for SmackDown 2017 to beat the best. I'm flaming. You don't like that call. I don't like that call. Not a very good call. Like I said, if you call the show and all of a sudden you're in a place that's unchartered or you lose your spot on your script or your brain just blanks out or you blank out, just take a deep breath and just say, I'm out and pull the ripcord like that guy did. What he wanted to say was to be the best, you have to beat the best. But what he said was to beat the best and he knew he couldn't pull out of it. He knew he had no way out. He knew he had no way out. Travis, what's up? How are you? Rome, so good to talk to you. I'm doing tremendous. Um, look, Rome, we all know in the battle for SmackDown 2017 to beat the best. I'm flaming. He held out like a boss. That's not going to get you any closer to being in the SmackDown, but I respect the way you handled that. Thank you very much for listening. I appreciate that. You know it. Now do what you do and trust the podcast. Then check right back here tomorrow for more Daily Jungle. We will see you then. I'm Wayman. How to show up with Coca-Cola energy. You're tired and you're thinking of canceling on your friends. Don't do it. Every time you cancel on a friend, a unicorn loses its horn and becomes a regular horse. Do you really want that on your conscience? Instead, grab an ice-cold can of Coca-Cola Energy with delicious Coke taste and reinvigorating energy. Keep the unicorns alive! Show up every day with Coca-Cola Energy. Energy you want, taste you love.